say before we get started and while we're uh, hooking up, I wanted to uh, invite uh, Teeny Finley up here. I know this is a place that was hard to get to. In fact, if I were trying to come to this seminar, I would have given up and gone to one of the 200 seminars <laughs> because it, uh, I circled all around and got, uh, got lost. But uh, uh, there are some empty seats here, and one of the reasons why we're holding this seminar is what Teeny is going to tell us uh, just right now. Why, why should someone come to a seminar like this, Teeny? Well, I really believe that health evangelism has a great impact upon many people that you are surrounded by, and that this is the work that's going to last until the end. We're told that medical missionary work is going to be the only work. And so what is medical missionary work? I'm going to cover that. And why should you... Um, as young people, as older people, why should you even get involved in health evangelism, health ministry? We're going to give you reasons uh, why you should be involved. And of course, uh, the number one thing is that you have an opportunity to lead those people to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That may not be interested in, in spiritual things. And we're going to share experiences, and I know in my section I'm going to share with you what medical missionary work is, what medical evangelism is, uh, some of the background of why God even gave the health message to Seventh-day Adventists, and some things that surrounded that. We're going to share with you some of the health fads of the 1800s of Ellen White's day. We're going to share with you some of the conditions of our early pioneers, and how that their own health needed to be improved. And, um, and then, of course, the one important thing, and that is um, that we have an opportunity to lead these people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to share with you how practically that can be done in your health programs and cooking schools and how, how you can transition uh, even. How do you transition from health programs to, uh, to evangelism? to evangelistic meetings, to a seminar, to something spiritual. We're going to cover that as well. And so I think that we'll have a lot of good material. We have uh, a lot of, I know I have a lot of research in mind of just things that will help you in your own personal health. How do you even know what to present in a health program uh, when you're doing health huh? evangelism? We're going good. to share some of those practical things. So I believe that we're on a a journey that will help you personally with your own health and also how that you can help uh, the health of those around you. So we're excited about uh, this particular seminar, so don't miss even one. God bless. Thank you very much. I've, I think I'm, uh, what's That's that? the recorder and this is the mic. Oh, okay, I'm supposed to put on both? Yes, here. You're not gonna get away from In order to be a health evangelist, uh, we need to have a mind of such that is uh, capable of uh, helping others and drawing people in. And part of uh, becoming a health evangelist is ourself becoming healthy. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Ellen White, who was given uh, visions uh, in regards to how this message would be the last message that would win souls uh, to the Lord Jesus uh, up until the end. In fact, Revelation, it's not just Ellen White, Revelation gives us a, a number of different uh, scriptures that help us to understand that as well. But uh, she mentioned that anyone who's involved in this work themselves needs to be a health reformer. Uh, someone who actually is practicing uh, the message. And of course, uh, as a physician, I've recognized that physicians who smoke have a dismal um, success rate in helping their patients to quit smoking. Uh, it just doesn't really happen. They might say the words, uh, but they're not there to really help them through that process because they themselves uh, have not been able to be successful in that line. And so uh, t this morning's presentation is reaching top 
mental performance. And our opening text is Revelation 22, verse 4, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be where? In their foreheads. Now, why in the forehead? What is there in the forehead? Yes, the frontal lobe of the brain. We'll go back a little bit in history in regards to the frontal lobe. Phineas Gage worked in the 1800s. He was a foreman of a railroad crew uh, in 1848, uh, interestingly enough, uh, right there at uh, Adventist history time. Uh, He was a faithful husband and father. He was well-liked by his fellow workers. He was a religious man. He regularly attended his Sunday church. In fact, he taught his weekly Sunday school class. And then came that fateful day of September 13, 1848. He kissed his wife and children goodbye, and he said, I'll be home for supper tonight. But Phineas did not come home for supper that night, and it had to do with where he was working. He was blasting in Vermont. Now, uh, how many of you have been to Vermont uh, in this room? Very few, uh, less than 10% of the audience has made it to Vermont. What's characteristic of those of you who've made it to Vermont about Vermont? beautiful and it's cold. cold. What about the terrain? Yes, mountains. You can't go any place in Vermont without seeing a a mountain, at least that I'm aware of. And what uh, Phineas was doing is he was blasting away portions of the mountain to lay railroad track. He would drill a long hole into the rock. He would fill it partially with explosive powder. He would cover the powder with sand and then he would consolidate the charge by using a tamping bar to pound down on the sand. We're not sure exactly what went wrong, whether Phineas, this was after 10 o'clock in the morning, they had repeated the process several times, whether Phineas was being too efficient and didn't wait until the sand was poured in when he came with the tamping bar, he was wielding the tamping bar that morning, or whether his helper went to the wrong pile and instead of putting sand in, actually filled the entire hole up with gunpowder. But one of those two things very likely occurred because as Phineas used that tamping bar to come down very stiffly on that hole, uh, an explosion occurred. And if it hadn't occurred, then of course he would have lit the fuse to detonate the explosion. But instead, the tamping bar became a missile that ended up going through the right eye of Phineas Gage, uh, and actually the left eye of Phineas Gage, and out the top of his head, and uh, landed some 20 feet away from the scene. Amazingly, Phineas survived that accident. Uh, within minutes, he was walking around again. He did have to have, uh, he, did, he did go to a medical facility where the bleeding was stopped, and uh, he ended up at Harvard, uh, actually. Uh, he did develop an infection, but through natural means, that infection was cured. There weren't antibiotics back in those days. Uh, and it was actually a fungal infection that he ended up developing. Uh, but within a few weeks, Phineas Gage was back on the job again. Uh, The problem was Phineas Gage was no longer the former Phineas Gage. This was a man who had always been faithful to his wife and children. Now any woman that appeared desirable to him, he would attempt to go after. This was a man who had always had calmness, even when there was a stressful situation occurring. And now he would frequently lose his temper in an abrupt, short-lived manner. His neurologist described him as irreverent, irascible, irresponsible. He did not want to have anything to do with religious things anymore. In fact, he would ridicule those who went to church. And, of course, he lost his job as foreman of the railroad crew. They offered him a lower job, but he was too proud to accept that lower job. And he ended up joining the circus uh, that traveled around the world because he was a shock appearance act after this occurred. He actually would carry this tamping bar around with him as part of the circus act, and he ended up dying in Chile some 13 years later of unrelated causes. Harvard University requested that his body be exhumed when they found out about his death and brought back to the United States. And if you were to go to Boston today to the Warren Anatomical Museum, you would see the skull of Phineas Gage, Uh, you would see the tamping bar that was buried next to him, and you would see detailed personality Uh, inventories uh, that took place before and after uh, so that you could uh, more intimately be associated or understand what happens when people lose a significant part of the frontal lobe of their brain. Uh, Years later, interestingly enough, there was a neurologist, in fact many neurologists, who would actually remove the frontal lobe of the brain of individuals who were guilt-ridden because 
Uh, scientific studies tell us the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. When someone thought they had committed the unpardonable sin, the neurologist would remove the frontal lobe of the brain. And uh, one woman who had this removed from him, from her, was asked afterwards, what about the Holy Spirit? And she said, the Holy Spirit? There is no Holy Spirit. Uh, one uh, man, or one, another woman who had their frontal lobe removed, uh, was asked beforehand, what would you do if you borrowed a watch and you lost the watch? And the woman said, well, I would, eat, I would have to pay for that watch or try to find an identical watch and uh, buy it and give it back to the individual I had borrowed it from. After the surgery, uh, when she was asked that question, what would happen if you borrowed a watch and then lost the watch, she just smiled really big and said, I'd have to borrow another. Uh, a, uh, uh, another interesting fact was one man who had his frontal lobe removed ended up murdering the surgeon who performed the procedure. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, this was, uh, this was a fairly common procedure back in the 1940s, 1950s. In fact, uh, one of our senators who died this last year, Ted Kennedy's sister, actually had a frontal lobotomy. Uh, you can uh, read about her as well uh, back in those uh, uh, days. But it is clear, uh, this is secular textbooks telling us it's the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. And so it is an area of the brain that as Christians we should be very interested in. Now the temporal lobe of the brain I actually spoke about last year at GYC. Uh, that has to do where, mem where memory is associated with, and if you're wanting to improve your memory, you may want to log on to audioverse.org uh, and get that, that series. It's actually not titled that. The, the title is From Health to Him, and it's, and it's number six in that series. I actually had to listen to that last night so I could remember what I had talked about uh, last uh, last year. Uh, occipital lobe is uh, where our vision is centered, our architectural skills are very much related to the occipital lobe. The parietal lobe has a lot to do with IQ, uh, and I had another session last year speaking uh, intricately about parietal lobe uh, subjects, which has to do with IQ, how to enhance your IQ. Einstein had a little larger parietal lobe. Parietal lobe is where advanced math well, it's where mathematical calculations occur, it's where language comprehension occurs, uh, creative uh, speech also has to do with the parietal lobe. Cerebellum has to do with our, your athletic ability. When teams get together, they're actually trying to figure out which team has more corporate cerebellar uh, activity uh, than the other team or the other player. And then uh, what really uh, sets us apart as human beings is the frontal lobe of the brain. Now, of course, other creatures have brains, cats have brains, but uh, only 3% of a cat's brain is in the frontal lobe. Not much morality in a cat, if you've ever seen it uh, torture its victims to death uh, and do so rather willingly. Uh, cat, or dogs have a little more frontal lobe, about 7% of a dog's brain is in the frontal lobe. Uh, dogs won't hesitate to murder, quotes, if they have to, uh, but they do it much more mercifully uh, they don't like to torture uh, victims, and they have uh, much more ability to empathize uh, with others as a result of their larger frontal lobe. Chimpanzees have the most of any other animal creature. 17% the brain is in the frontal lobe, and uh, what sets humans apart is their large frontal lobe size. There's no other creature that comes anywhere close to this. There's no missing, or there's no link between the two where you see gradual improvement in frontal lobe function. You just see this massively uh, large frontal lobe in human beings. 33 up to 38% of a human's brain is in the frontal lobe. Scientific studies have shown us other effects of compromised frontal lobe since the time of Phineas Gage. When the frontal lobe is compromised, there's an impairment of moral principle that occurs. And if we want to follow the decline of morality in a particular group or worldwide, et cetera, we're actually following the decline in activity of the frontal lobe of the brains of human beings. There's also a social impairment that occurs when the frontal lobe is compromised. There's a loss of love for family. And when you're following individuals, you know, right now they're analyzing the Nigerian uh, attempted uh, plane bomber uh, going into uh, Detroit. And uh, they're finding out, of course, he had these characteristics, the impairment of moral principle, the loss of love for family, he had actually disconnected himself 
from family and his father had even warned uh, authorities uh, about him. Uh, the frontal lobe was going down. Lack of foresight uh, occurs. And uh, the ability to see into the future and to actually accurately predict the future is very much related to the frontal lobe. You can actually follow a child's frontal lobe development by how far they're looking ahead. Uh, second grader might know next year they're going to be in the third grade, but they can't really look much beyond that. But hopefully they develop to the point where they're choosing wisely their career, uh, their mate. Those type of things require a much more uh, lengthy period of time to look ahead. Abstract reasoning is impaired. I was speaking to a large high school in Texas on career day, public high school. This is one of these high schools where they had to have uh, security and police there for their assemblies because thousands of, of uh, high school age kids were there. And I just asked them to interpret a proverb. People that live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. What does that mean to you? And uh, one boy in the front, uh, they got to come up to the microphone says, well, if you do that, you'll break your house. Now, that's called concrete reasoning. It's not abstract reasoning. And so I had several other students attempt it. They were all doing the concrete thing, and these were high school-age students. Finally, one kid in the middle came up from the back, and he says, if you don't want to be picked on, you better not pick on somebody else. Well, that was his teenage vernacular, but he was using abstract reasoning, and of course, he got a, a thunderous round of applause from his... Uh, from his high school associates for accurately uh, interpreting that proverb. Uh, and then I asked them a simple question. I said, how many of you think your parents would have been able to interpret that proverb? What percentage of the hands do you think went up? Actually, it was about 80% of those high school kids' hands went up. And I said, you know what? You're right. I think your parents would have been able to interpret the proverb too. And the reason why is their frontal lobe is much more developed than yours. It takes 30 years for the frontal lobe to be fully developed in human beings. And if you couldn't interpret that proverb, there's a whole lot of other things that you can't see very clearly with right now either. And that's why you need to trust a lot in your parents' judgment uh, at this point in your life. Mathematical understanding is also uh, diminished significantly when the frontal lobe is compromised. You can do things like algebra and calculation and things, but higher forms of math such as calculus, trigonometry require frontal lobe function. Loss of empathy occurs when the frontal lobe uh, declines, and this is one of the key features of why we need to have our frontal lobes intact. In order to really adequately represent Christ and adequately represent our health message, we need to have empathy. And uh, it's actually not true. Some people say that th this statement, that if you haven't been there, you don't really know what it's like. For instance, if you haven't lost a child, for, uh, then how can you help somebody else uh, through this if you haven't gone through it yourself? It sounds logical on the surface, but actually it's ignoring what empathy is. Empathy ha is the same ability to feel and understand what someone else is going through, even though you haven't gone through it. And, uh, and it's very clear that when the frontal lobe is intact, you can have full and complete empathy. When the frontal lobe goes down, there's also a lack of restraint, boasting, hostility. These type of things become much more common. And you can see the obvious lack of frontal lobe function after the touchdown is scored on any NFL particular day. Uh, there are diseases uh, that uh, can result when the frontal lobe is significantly uh, compromised. Uh, you, uh, uh, when it's significantly compromised, things like mania or bipolar disorder can come about. Obsessive compulsive disorder is a problem primarily of the frontal lobe of the brain. Even obesity, the highest center of appetite control is in the frontal lobe of the brain. So no matter how much desire we have for a particular food or for an amount of food, uh, which is a lower brain function, that desire, uh, no matter how strong that desire is, if our frontal lobe is fully intact, we can actually say no to that desire and, uh, and say it without this huge type of struggle. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder also is a problem with frontal lobe development. One of the reasons why it's often outgrown is because the frontal lobe finally catches up uh, to an individual. But also major depression is very much a problem with the frontal lobe of the brain. 
In fact, in the last decade, it's now well established one of the main characteristics of virtually all depressed individuals, no matter what the underlying cause, is a significant decrease in the frontal lobe's blood flow and activity. This is a PET scan. In fact, I'll be showing you some PET scans later on and some of the new research in frontal lobe function as part of this lecture. But this uh, PET scan is like a Doppler weather radar. The hotter the color, the more activity. This is where the eyes are. And you can see a depressed individual has decreased activity of almost the entire gray matter of the brain. But the biggest before and after difference, this is the same individual after they've recovered from depression. The biggest before and after difference is right there in the frontal lobe of the brain. And this is one of the reasons why uh, our secular world does not do very well in treating major depression. They can give medicines that might enhance frontal lobe function some. Those serotonin reuptake inhibitors actually do improve certain areas of the frontal lobe circulation. Uh, but because for the psychology world, spiritual things are off limits, they're actually ignoring the very lobe that can do the best as far as enhancing frontal lobe function is concerned. And it stands to reason that if someone has a frontal lobe problem, uh, spiritual resources are key, actually, one of the keys in significantly enhancing frontal lobe function. Drevitz presents compelling evidence that frontal lobe problems are the cause and the effects are the depressive symptoms. So first the frontal lobe goes down and then depression uh, results. Now, there are ways that we can damage our frontal lobe besides tamping bar accidents and explosions and automobile accidents and motorcycle accidents. Uh, there are drugs that can damage every one of the illicit drugs, whether it's amphetamines, cocaine, marijuana, uh, you name them, narcotics. They all have a suppressant effect on the frontal lobe of the brain. And then there are prescription drugs that can also do this. And that's why it's good to look at your side effect profile uh, when you're taking a prescription drug to see if it does affect the central nervous system. There are many people on these medicines and the doctor has decided that the benefits outweigh the risks in that particular patient, but sometimes it's worthwhile. There might be another drug in the same class that doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, for instance, and isn't going to have uh, that effect. And then there are legal drugs that damage. Alcohol affects the frontal lobe of the brain first before it affects any other portion of the brain. Now, if you were to drive at the legal limit of alcohol intoxication in the state of Kentucky, 0.08%, uh, uh, and a policeman were to pull you over, would you be able to walk a straight line? You actually could. And in fact, if you were skilled at doing so, you could hit a curveball out of a baseball park at that level. That's how good your reflexes could be. So why is it that you're 10 times as likely to get into an automobile accident? It has to do with the judgment. When your judgment goes down, the frontal lobe goes down, your judgment goes down, and you end up doing things with the automobile that you wouldn't have done otherwise. That's what happened to Princess Dye's driver. He was, his reflexes were intact because nobody recognized he was drunk, but he attempted to negotiate a turn in a tunnel at a speed that was impossible to negotiate, even under the best of coordinated circumstances. And thus he lost his life and others lost their life as well. It turns out that that crash has been very analyzed, and the best race car driver in the world would not have been able to successfully negotiate that turn at that speed. And uh, thus, uh, he lost his life. Now, I should mention, once alcohol is out of the system, you're okay to drive again. Does driving require a lot of critical, abstract thinking? No, it's just concrete thinking. There's a little bit of judgment involved. But it is concrete thinking. It's not something that's really complex. It turns out that once alcohol is out of the system, it takes two weeks for the frontal lobe to fully recover. So as far as critical thinking, difficult decisions, analyzing a lot of data, and coming up with the right information, uh, that's, that's the reason why total abstinence from alcohol is really the ideal as far as the brain is concerned. Nicotine has a more subtle effect on suppressing the frontal lobe of the brain, but it also suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain. And the most commonly consumed drug in America is what? Caffeine. Anyone want to guess what percent of Americans use it habitually? 80%. 80%, but that still means there's a good 20% of Americans that have chosen not to. Uh, and it turns out caffeine blocks the adenosine receptors in the frontal lobe of the brain. 
And uh, Pavlov uh, studied uh, this. Typists can type a little bit faster under the influence of caffeine, but they make 10 times as many errors. Uh, there are now in the NFL, there are quarterback coaches. Which player in the NFL do you think it's best for them to have an intact frontal lobe? <laughs> That's right, it's the quarterback. And guess what the quarterback coaches are telling these NFL quarterbacks? No caffeine. Now they won't tell the linemen that. And they won't tell the defensive people that. In fact, they're giving them, when they're on the sidelines, they're pumping them up with as much caffeine as they possibly can tolerate. But the quarterback who needs to get away from those caffeine consumers is told no caffeine. Now, why is that the case? Because they want that judgment of the quarterback uh, to be fully intact. In fact, that also uh, stands to reason why, you know, uh, why one of the uh, quarterbacks is, is, a, is a real phenomenon because he's lasted so long. Uh, Troy Aikman, I uh, have a, a practice near Dallas, Texas in Ardmore, Oklahoma, but Troy Aikman was the quarterback of the Cowboys for years, and uh, at the early age in his 30s, he was laid off, and he tried to get hired by another team, and he went there at Cowboys Stadium, he had several coaches there, and he fired a bullet to 10 mannequins from the zero yard line that he was in the end zone to the 50 yard line, and he hit every one of them in the numbers, 10 in a row, no team would hire him with that degree of pinpoint accuracy. Why wouldn't they? Because his judgment had gone down, he was making poor decisions. And why has judgment gone down? Too many concussions. Concussions actually, but if you suffer two or more concussions, it can suppress the frontal lobe of the brain. Now it's not like he's mentally retarded, he actually is a commentary for, uh, you know, he comments on games and has paid a lot of money to comment on it. But it, it requires him, you know, time and thought and effort to be able to come back with the, with the thought there where before he could instantaneously uh, be able to make that uh, right decision. It even, even has an influence in regards to what? Gossip. Now this is a study where they took a look at this definition of gossip. Gossip, according to this study, was sharing private information with someone who's not part of the problem or part of the solution to the problem. And it turns out, if you are under the influence of caffeine, you're much more likely to gossip than when you're not under the influence of caffeine. And uh, interestingly enough, years ago this was written about, when these tea and coffee users meet together for social entertainment, the effects of their pernicious habit are manifest, all partake freely of their favorite beverages, and as the stimulating influence is felt, their what? Tongues are loosened, and they begin the wicked work of talking against others. Their words are not few or well chosen. And so uh, this underscores another important aspect of the frontal lobe of the brain. The frontal lobe is often an appropriate break on human behavior. And you know, when you get into an automobile, you want to make sure it has a good engine, but just as important is that it have good brakes. Uh, and uh, when, you're, when the frontal lobe is compromised, the brakes very much are lost and the tongues are loosened. This also underscores what Peter said, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, let's make our minds as sharp as they can be. Be what? Sober. Now that Greek word for being sober actually is broader than what is translated here in English. Do you know the actual word that, he, that would be best put in the English language? Be abstinent. So abstinent from anything that's going to adversely affect the frontal lobe of the brain and hope to the end for the grace that is be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So an abstinent lifestyle is actually a, a Christian lifestyle and one that enhances frontal lobe function. Well, what does the frontal lobe desire for optimal function? Carbohydrates are used almost exclusively by the brain for optimal function. And what foods naturally have carbohydrates in them? That's right, fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables. Uh, meat is actually a carbohydrate deficient food. Protein and fat there, but virtually no carbohydrate. One of the reasons why meat does not come out on top. Ellen White actually quotes these four food groups that are also quoted in Genesis chapter one as the original diet for man. And she says, they impart a strength, a power of endurance, and what else? A vigor of intellect that are not afforded by a more complex and stimulating diet. 
And so this diet actually is a diet that is good for the brain, and we could go into a lot of studies to support that, which we won't at this point in time. Now, if carbs are good for the brain, then sugar should be very good for the brain, right? Because sugar is a simple carbohydrate. Uh, actually, uh, when carbs were first discovered as being very good for the brain, I was handed a candy bar in the third grade, and the person who handed it to me was an adult, and they said, here, have some brain food. And I said, really? And they said, yeah, studies show carbs are great for the brain, and this has lots of it, and so this should be good for your brain. And I you know, kind of wondered about that. Uh, just a few years after that, a study was done on school-aged children showing that sugar in the diet actually impairs frontal lobe functions in school-aged children. Now, why is that the case? When you have a candy bar, what happens to your blood sugar? It goes up and your pancreas thinks you've eaten a huge amount of fruits, grains, nuts, and vegetables. But you haven't, you just had a candy bar. So what it does is it cranks out this huge amount of insulin and within 20 minutes your blood sugar is lower than it was before you ate the sugary substance. And it takes it actually four hours for the frontal lobe to recover from that, even once you snack and try to get it up. So subtle forms of hypoglycemia do affect the frontal lobe. It won't affect the memory that much if you're just doing memory type of work, you can still get by with that. But if you're having to think, to come up with the answer, and to problem solve, uh, it does have a significant adverse effect. Makes about a grade letter difference in most subjects. Arachidonic acid decreases the ability uh, of the brain by decreasing the synthesis and storage of acetylcholine, an important neurotransmitter in the frontal lobe of the brain. And arachidonic acid is present primarily in flesh foods, another reason why meat doesn't come out on top. Uh, Ellen White, speaking of meat, said eating much flesh will diminish intellectual activity. Students would accomplish much more in their studies if they what? Never tasted meat. Again, that abstinence part comes out. When the animal part of the human nature is strengthened by meat eating, the intellectual power diminishes proportionately. And uh, so there's more behind Daniel and his three friends' success uh, than just their faith in God. It was actually practicing that faith in regards to the health message as well. Tyramine is a false neurotransmitter. It's small enough to cross the blood-brain barrier, but it confuses the brain cells by falsely stimulating them. Uh, this is one of the reasons for nightmares, uh, one of the reasons for uh, actually thinking that you heard something when actually you didn't, etc. And it, uh, it can also confuse it in more subtle ways. But tyramine is, is found abundantly in cheese, wines, and rich foods, and is one of the reasons why cheese is also, at least those hardened cheeses, uh, are not the best food as far as the frontal lobe of the brain is concerned. This was a very profound statement by Ellen White. She says, the sin of intemperate eating, eating too frequently, too much, and of rich, unwholesome food, destroys the healthy action of the digestive organs, affects the brain, and perverts what? The judgment. So what is she talking about here? What part of the brain? The frontal lobe. And she says, preventing rational, calm, healthy thinking and acting. Now here's her next statement. And this is a fruitful source of what? Church trials. So the argument in the church board meeting may not be due to what you think it's due to. It may be due to what the people ate before they got to the board meeting. And no matter how much you explain the subject and you try to come to a level of principle, you're not going to have that unity there because the frontal lobes are not able to really grasp the subject at hand. In another place, she says it's actually the most frequent cause of church trials. Intemperance. And then this profound statement, few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their health. And you know, that's clear even, I mean, the evidence for that is abundant today. But yet, it's still largely uh, an ignorant phenomenon of most Americans that they don't recognize their health is actually dependent on what they put in their body. It's actually dependent just on two things, what they put in their body and what they do with their bodies. Uh, but yet there's still a lot of ignorance in regards to that. Few, even today, understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their health. Then few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their what? Characters. Few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their usefulness in this world. And then finally, this profound statement. 
Few understand how much their habits of diet have to do with their what? Eternal destiny. It's one of the reasons why the health message is intricately connected with matters of salvation. Well, then there's things that we don't ingest that can have an effect on the frontal lobe of the brain. Hypnosis is an area in some parts of medicine that is being promoted to help people overcome particular habits. Uh, And uh, I could go into studies on that. There is some evidence that it can help uh, overcome uh, some particular habits, but there's even stronger evidence that it actually will lead you to another bad habit, sometimes worse than the one that you've given up. And I think one of the reasons for it is the way hypnosis, or what it actually does. This comes from a hypnosis textbook that promotes it. Hypnosis attempts to cancel out what? Frontal lobe functions and bring people into a trance in which they are highly suggestible. So we want to suppress the frontal lobes and then we want to put in suggestive material. And there's multiple ways you can try to hypnotize people. There are difficult ways. Some people can even try to hypnotize you by the way they speak. Uh, Magicians, for instance, are very good at trying to hypnotize you so that they can get by with stuff uh, in regards to their magic shows, etc. But the easiest way, according to this textbook, is accomplished by training the eyes to focus in on one object, the best object being a little flickering light. Now, it's important that the light, uh, the irregular flicker of it, be controlled by the hypnotist, not by the person being hypnotized. Uh, And it's also important that the individual focus their eyes on it. What will happen? The person will record information and duties without interpretation or without frontal lobe activity. Now, many people may not realize it, but they could have a hypnotic instrument in their own home. What trains the eyes to focus in on one object and flickers? Actually, it is entertainment television, and what produces that flicker is a characteristic of all entertainment television. Do you know what the characteristic is of entertainment television? Rapid scene of reference change. If you're watching educational TV, you don't see that rapid scene of reference change. In fact, C-SPAN, which is educational TV, you'll see one camera view for a whole hour. Now, it's, it is uh, unnatural for you to stare at a set when it's not flickering, when it's not having that rapid scene of reference change. I've seen people watch C-SPAN. I've watched it myself. You can't stare at the set for more than a few seconds. If someone has a chart up there, you're going to be looking at the data. But after that, your eyes are going to be diverting elsewhere. You might be taking notes. You might be doing something else. But your frontal lobe can still be fully engaged with that. And studies show cameras in the classroom, actually the people not in the classroom do better than the people in the classroom uh, with that one camera view. And one of the reasons is they don't have the distractions of the particular classroom uh, at hand. However, entertainment television has that rapid scene of reference change. The average entertainment program changes its scene of reference every three seconds. And what happens is uh, when you sit down to watch your favorite television program, if we were to hook up an EEG to you, Uh, Within 90 seconds to at most three minutes, your frontal lobe would be significantly compromised. We could see this by you going from beta wave activity where the frontal lobe is analyzing things to now you're in alpha wave rhythm, which is a hypnotic uh, rhythm. You're able to record information. You're able to remember the program enough that if you see it again, you recognize it as a rerun, but you're not critically analyzing what's coming in and you're not putting it in the appropriate subset. And that's why it can have a profound adverse effect on human behavior. There have been over 3,000 studies on the effects of entertainment television in the mind. Over 300 books have been written on the subject. They show 17 areas where the frontal lobe is compromised. It increases daydreaming. That's actually not a good thing. Uh, In fact, studies show the more fantasy daydreaming you do, the higher your risk of Alzheimer's disease and the more your memory declines over time. It decreases creative ingenuity. Uh, significantly. In fact, Joel Wheeler, who used to teach at uh, Columbia Union College in Washington, D.C. How many of you are are from CU, anyone from CUC uh, here? Yes, we have a few CUC uh, individuals here. Uh, He was the head of the communications department uh, there, and people who were wanting to be successful in the media would take his communications class, and many of them would not get good grades. And they would say, this is what I want to do for a career. I want to do media. And he would tell them, all of them, one simple thing to do. 
go home and throw out your TV and don't watch any entertainment television and do that for a whole year and then come back and take my class. And when they came back, they would get A's. The, the ones who are most creative in utilizing the media themselves don't watch entertainment television. In fact, uh, I saw one of the most successful film producers uh, in America being interviewed uh, the other day, and he mentions that he doesn't watch any other entertainment movies or anything. And he's, uh, he's the, the, the highest paid uh, movie uh, producer in America uh, because he's creative uh, in his usage of that, and he himself will not be subjected to the hypnotic effects of what he knows he's producing because he knows it's going to adversely affect his own creativity. It uh, decreases interest uh, in, in reading uh, significantly. The more entertainment television, the less interest you have in reading. Decrease interest in learning. Reduces discernment between what is right and what isn't so right. It trains in non-reaction, actually. Uh, and this is why things like hideous things can go on in city streets and people not even interfere sometimes because of uh, their training in non-reaction. It increases aggressiveness, this is well documented, reduces sensitivity to violence, and also has an addictive nature. Uh, the Detroit Free Press did a study where they asked 120 individuals to give up television for 30 days. Only uh, 27 people, uh, families, uh, agreed to accept their $500, is how much they were given to give it up for 30 days. And out of those 27, they became a study group. They ended up having insomnia, um, irritability, headaches, all sorts of withdrawal symptoms uh, during that first week uh, because it's of an addictive nature. Anything that suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain significantly has an addictive component uh, to it. And then, of course, it takes away precious time for family, for achievement, uh, and for spiritual pursuits as well. Just the time component in and of itself uh, and the waste that it produces is something uh, worth contemplating for and getting rid of the set instead of burning the watch or the clock. Music also has an adverse effect on the frontal lobe of the brain or a positive effect depending on the type of music. Music enters the brain through its emotional regions which include the temporal lobe and limbic system. From there, some kinds of music tend to produce a frontal lobe response that influences the moral worth and reasoning power positively. Uh, this tends to be uh, the uh, type of music that is characterized uh, by uh, uh, this event that I went to a few years ago. Actually, we try to go to it every year at the Dallas Symphony. Uh, they put on a Christmas program and repeat it 12 times before Christmas and uh, it's sold out, they don't advertise it at all. It's a very positive event uh, for the uh, city and every uh, attendee that's there, and it has a very positive effect on the frontal lobe of the brain. Uh, and the more uh, the music that has a melody, harmony, and without that syncopated boom-cha rhythm will have a positive effect on the frontal lobe of the brain, uh, whether it was written hundreds of years ago or whether it was written just a year or two ago. But other kinds of music will evoke very little, if any frontal lobe response, will produce a large emotional response with very little logical or moral interpretation. And this is characterized by the syncopated rock and roll rhythms, the boom-cha uh, type uh, rhythms where you don't want to actually march with the music. You just want to stand in one place and lift your hands up and swing those hips. Uh, that's actually uh, uh, the music that is producing that frontal lobe suppressant effect. In fact, studies showed, I could, I could have gone into some of the more recent studies, that if you take classical music, like Vivaldi, for instance, the Four Seasons, and you march to it, uh, and you do physical activity to it, it enhances the brain even more when you're doing exercise along with that classical music. Uh, and in fact, the verbal fluency rate uh, increased threefold uh, over those who were uh, not participating in that type of activity. And so uh, regular music, uh, the, the more traditional type of music, the, was meant to actually move people into action. You know, the, 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 uh, Sibelius was credited for the Finns overthrowing the Russians in that military um, uh, march that he produced, and it actually helped them to actually get into action uh, there, and it was a very inspiring piece. Onward Christian soldiers can have that inspiring piece. Maybe we ought to stand up in church and march around the aisles uh, when we're actually singing it. Uh, but this also helps us to realize that upbeat music is not necessarily uplifting music. 
because the upbeat music tends to be that syncopated rock and roll rhythm that is not march-oriented. It's not meant to move you, but actually more to seduce you uh, by suppressing the frontal lobe of the brain and by actually uh, stimulating uh, some of the lower brain functions. Uh, this study, University of Florida, music psychotherapy in which people are encouraged to reflect on their past, present, and future while listening to classical music improves mood, reduces stress. Six sessions of classical music therapy were held over a 12-week period in 23 to 45-year-olds. By the way, this is the group that's largely never been exposed to classical music. They didn't choose this because the people liked it. Uh, they often didn't have an opinion on it because they re really had never been exposed to it. These subjects showed improved scores on tests of overall mood, reported feeling less depressed, reported feeling less fatigue, and their cortisol levels improved. And even those that didn't have depression had enhanced brain function as a result of the uh, music uh, that was listened to, and this was a randomized controlled uh, trial. Interestingly, Ellen White had something to say about music. She said, the things you have described as taking place in Indiana, the Lord has shown me would take place just before, when? The close of probation. Just before the close of probation, there would be music introduced. Every uncouth thing will be demonstrated. There will be shouting with what? Drums, music, and, and dancing. It doesn't say marching. Uh, it actually is talking about dancing. Uh, she knew the difference. The senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to make what? Right decisions. So which area of the brain is going down as a result? the frontal lobe, that decision-making portion of the brain. But she says when it's actually, when this music is performed in a religious venue, she says this is what it will be called. And this is called the moving of the Holy Spirit. But that is not the Holy Spirit of truth that is suppressing the frontal lobe of the brain. Alvin Toffler comes from the secular perspective. Uh, he's the one who wrote Future Shock and a lot of uh, communications books that uh, college students even study today to know how to utilize the media to get people to separate themselves from their money as a result of watching commercials, etc. Uh, but he says this, constant stimulation of the senses shuts down the what? Analytical processes. And ultimately shuts down the ability to face life rationally. So not only are people trying to stimulate you through ads where you have that rapid scene of reference change, but they're also putting syncopated rhythm with it. Then they're putting sensual images with it as well. And sexual stimulation outside of marriage, uh, we, can, uh, we might actually cover some of those studies, actually suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain uh, further. And so that constant stimulation of the senses shuts down the analytical processes, ultimately shuts down the ability to face life rationally. And here's what it leads to. It leads to escape techniques that involve withdrawal, apathy, and rejection of what kind of thinking? Disciplined thinking when faced with difficult duties and decisions. And what starts this whole process? It's the constant stimulation of the senses. And this is the age in which we're in. You know, it's kind of interesting that there's more ways to entertain yourself today than ever before recorded in human history, but yet we have more depression than ever before in human history. We have more emotional problems. We have more people not being able to make simple, obvious decisions, the right decisions, et cetera. And it all stands to what uh, really, the evil one has designed that your senses be stimulated. If he can get to try to stimulate those senses in every possible way, he knows that he's going to have a good victory. This was an interesting study done recently. Glossolalia and frontal lobe function. Now, what is glossolalia? That's speaking in tongues. And uh, this was a study, University of Pennsylvania. Speaking in tongues, I'm just quoted from the study, it's an unusual mental state associated with specific religious traditions. The individual appears to be speaking in an incomprehensible language, yet perceives it to have great personal meaning. Now, in a first-in-his-kind study, scientists are shining the light on this mysterious practice, attempting to explain what actually happens physiologically to the brain of someone while speaking in tongues. Radiology investigators observed increased or decreased brain activity by measuring regional cerebral blood flow with SPECS, single photon emission computed tomography. This is kind of like those PET scans that we talked about, while the subjects were speaking in tongues. They then compared the image to what happened to the brain while the subjects sang gospel music. 
And of course, even that gospel music in comparison, uh, many of the gospel music is going to have that syncopated rhythm, so it's going to have somewhat of a suppressant effect as well. Researchers at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine discovered dramatically decreased activity in the what? In the frontal lobes, an area of the brain associated with the being in control of oneself. Our brain imaging research shows us that these subjects are not in control of the usual language centers during this activity, which is consistent with their description of a lack of intentional control while speaking in tongues. There were significant decreases in the prefrontal cortices, left caudate, left temporal lobe, while there were increases in the left superior parietal lobe and right amygdala. The amygdala is, is a very emotional portion of the limbic system there, the bottom portion of the limbic system. These findings could be interpreted, and of course the limbic system is that emotional part of the brain. These findings could be interpreted as a subject's sense of self being taken over by what? Something else. We scientifically assume it's being taken over by another part of the brain, but we couldn't see in this imaging study where this took place. And of course, the question is, if it's really the Lord influencing this, what should happen to the frontal lobe of the brain? it should actually be stimulated and we should see a far greater activity. This is what Ellen White says. The brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate to man and affect his inmost life. And of course, that, uh, the portion of the brain where she emphasizes this is the frontal lobe of the brain. Without that frontal lobe, as we talked about, uh, we don't become a worshipful creature. Every individual with a frontal lobe worships. The question is, who are they worshiping? What are they worshiping? But there's a reason why cats and dogs don't come to church, and they don't have an interest in that. Uh, you know, they don't have a, a, a frontal lobe to be able to be in that worshipful type of environment. Uh, and so uh, when we're suppressing that area of the brain, we're not getting into communication with heaven. In fact, she says this, whatever disturbs the circulation, the electric currents in the nervous system, lessens the strength of the vital powers, and the result is a deadening of the sensibilities of the mind. Councils on Health, page 616. Is that why we have a Laodicean church? It has a lot to explain. I mean, there's a lot there to explain why we have that. When people feel that they're okay and that they're actually not, uh, very much related to frontal lobe problems. Take care of your frontal lobe. How can we take care of it? We must protect it from mechanical injury. That means wearing our seat belts. That means not participating in things where there's a high likelihood of head injury. Uh, and I should mention this, there's uh, even Time Magazine has uh, grasped hold of what's happening in sports when there's a high likelihood of head injury. Major depression in NFL athletes is way up there, skyrocketing. Suicide rates are high, et cetera. And it all happens to do with that more than one concussion. When you get two concussions or more and it keeps piling up, it suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain. And there's a group of NFL players that are now giving their brains to science to try to get people to understand what's going on there. And they see the, the significant fibrous tissue uh, scarring, et cetera, that occurs in the frontal lobe of the brain. Not, in a, not a sport that I would encourage uh, at all. Boxing, of course, for the same reasons, uh, would not be encouraged. We must supply it with good oxygen. How do we do that? Yes, exercise, deep breathing, uh, that fresh air is important. We must give it good nutrition. We talked about that by getting those good foods and avoiding the foods that are going to suppress it. Get adequate sunshine. Sunlight turns out to be helpful in several ways in frontal lobe function, but one of the ways is it encourages the production of serotonin in the brain, which helps the brain to stay calm and to be able to make appropriate decisions even under adverse circumstances. We must exercise it just like a muscle. If we don't use it, we're going to what? We're going to lose it. And, you know, yesteryear there used to be games that people would play that stimulated the frontal lobe of the brain. Uh, those games like uh, Scrabble and other ty types of uh, games are almost unheard of today. When people come together to play games that have to do with the mind, normally they're memory games like Trivial Pursuit, Temporal Lobe type games, but they're not frontal lobe uh, type games. There are a number of those uh, games that can be utilized. Uh, we can control the inputs over what we're seeing and hearing, not participating in forms of entertainment. They're going to suppress the frontal lobe of the brain and prevent or control disease that affects it, such as high blood pressure that suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain. 
Acts chapter 17 gives us another clue on how we can help it out. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all what? Readiness of mind and search the scriptures weekly. Would that our people would do it weekly. But this says they searched the scriptures how? Daily, whether those things were so. So what were they utilizing when they searched the scriptures? The frontal lobe of the brain. They were not just a mere reading of it, but an analyzing of it, comparing scripture with scripture, a wonderful frontal lobe activity. Ellen White says the Bible, just as it reads, is to be our guide. Nothing is so calculated to enlarge the mind and strengthen the intellect as the study of the Bible. No other study will so elevate the soul and give vigor to the faculties as the study of the living oracles. She says, when the, as the mind is brought to the study of God's word, the understanding will enlarge, the higher power will develop for the comprehension of high and ennobling truth. In that book, Education, that the Secretary of Education in California a number of years ago said is far ahead of its time, and if people, if our school systems would implement that book nationwide, we'd be far ahead of the rest of the world in education. Page 124, she says, as a means of intellectual training, the Bible is more effective than any other book or all other books combined. The greatness of its themes, the dignified simplicity of its utterances, the beauty of its imagery quicken and uplift the thoughts as nothing else can. No other study can impart such mental power as does the effort to grasp the stupendous truths of revelation. The mind thus brought in contact with the thoughts of the infinite cannot but expand and strengthen. And so I ask you here this morning, do you want to be more intelligent? Do you want to be more analytical? Do you want to make better decisions? Do you want to have a greater capacity to empathize with others? Do you want to have better discernment or a greater ability to see into the future? Do you want to have a greater ability to overcome an addiction? That also requires the frontal lobe. Do you want to have a greater power to follow your conscience? And finally, do you want to be more open to understanding and doing the will of God? If you answer yes to any of those, I would like for you to analyze your life and see what you can do in regards to lifestyle and mental habits to get into a pattern where that frontal lobe can be at optimal function. Daniel chapter 1, Daniel made a decision. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. And then he got on a plant-based diet. And of course, in 10 days later, he, he looked better than the rest of them. He was healthier, but what was the final analysis? His mind was 10 times better, both him and his three friends, 10 times better. Uh, they, they had never seen academic performance like that in Babylon. Dear youth, God says, God calls upon you to do a work which through his grace you what? Can do. Show a purity of taste, appetite, and habits that bears comparison with who? God will reward you with four things. Calm nerves, a clear brain, unimpaired judgment, keen perceptions. The youth of today whose principles are firm and unwavering will be blessed with health of body, mind, and soul. Why will people be deceived in the end? The Bible tells us Babylon, when it falls, the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee. The voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Anyone want to guess what that word sorceries is in Greek? Pharmakia. That's where we get our word pharmacy from. Drugging. It's the drugging down of the brain that lay, leads to the great deception. And it, you, of course, the drugging down means like drugs. As I told you, every illicit drug suppresses the frontal lobe of the brain. But there's a lot of other things besides drugs that can have that same pharmacia effect in suppressing the frontal lobe of the brain. And that's the answer given in Revelation. Why the whole world ends up being deceived is because of the suppression of the frontal lobe. My final text is this from the book of Romans. He beseeches the brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a what? living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Some people will call this extremism. What does Paul call it? Your reasonable service. It's not extremism. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can have our minds renewed, and we can. The Lord has given us tools for optimal frontal lobe function. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we thank you 
for what you've revealed to us in science and inspiration as to how we can have a brain that is fully in tune with you and fully receptive to your spirit and a brain that really helps us to be in control as this scientific study said of oneself. Lord, we know that you are not into others controlling us or particularly the evil one, but you want every one of your created creatures, every one of your human beings to be in control of themselves and to be receptive to your spirit of truth and love. We pray now that each one of us in this room will make the commitment necessary to fully align our lives with your will in Jesus' name, amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.